Thank you, Nathan. And good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be in the house of the Lord with you uh, this morning. We continue our series in the book of, uh, of Acts, which is the unfolding of the church of Jesus Christ. Some have called it the fifth gospel. Uh, some have called it the Acts of the Apostles. I think a better name might be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. As we continue to see the Holy Spirit push the gospel of Jesus Christ past man-made boundaries expanding Christ and his kingdom to, to those that have been on the outside looking in. We're in Acts chapter 10 this morning. We'll begin reading in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. And saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners from upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, oh, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he arose and, and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. 
But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for Cornelius. Lord, thank you for Peter. Thank you for sending Jesus to Peter and to Cornelius and to us. Father, I pray that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be open to hear from you on this day. Father, I pray that I would declare your word and your word alone. Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase and be known here and far beyond these walls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. My friends, God has called us to be whole in a broken world. A phrase that we're going to see a couple of times in this passage is what God has called clean, do not call common. Your translation might say what God has called clean, do not call unclean. It means the same thing. What God has called clean, do not call unclean, do not call common. And yet that's exactly what we often do, isn't it? I do it, and so do you. We're all guilty of that. It reminds me of, of a book by Mark Twain, the, the Prince and the Pauper. Who's read that? Now, come on. Has anybody here read The Prince and the Pauper by Twain? It's a classic. If you haven't read it, you can get it on Kindle. I think it's almost free. Grab it and read it. It's a great book. It was originally designed as a children's book, but the, the themes in there are very appropriate for today. Uh, in, in the book, you've got, um, you've got two main characters. You've got Tom Canty. Uh, Canty is a, uh, uh, is a young man uh, of, of the streets. He lives with his alcoholic, abusive father uh, in the rough part of London. He's a kid of the streets. You've got... Edward VI, the son of Henry VIII. Edward VI and Tom Canty look almost identical. So much so that even their parents can't hardly tell them apart. They meet each other once outside the gate as Canty is hanging out outside the gate. And, and uh, Edward and them and, and, and Tom are, are remarking on how, how marvelously they, they look like each other. They've been born on the same day, the same year. It's just that one of them is wearing the finery of royal clothing and the other one is dressed as a pauper. The, the, the palace guards begin to beat Tom Canty and chase him away. He doesn't belong there. Edward steps in uh, and, and, and saves him with mercy and invite, in fact invites Tom into the palace for a chat. And as they begin to talk in Edward's chambers, they realize uh, that they have a great plan. And, and as you know, most 10, 11-year-old boys can do, they come up with a, with a tricky plan to, to, um, to fool their parents and to fool everyone else around them, and they switch clothing. 
Edward wants to see what it's like on the outside. Tom Canty wants to see what it's like to live in the finery of a palace. And so they do that for a while. And in so doing, they, they find out that the, the other side is, is, Edward finds out that the other side is quite harsh. Um, he finds out that some of what his royal family and the government has been doing to the paupers of London uh, is disastrous and evil in Maine. Tom Canty, at the same time, finds out that he's not, he's not all that fond of living in a palace. He likes the freedom that he had in the streets. Isn't it interesting how we can look at others and declare them to be unclean when we're really just like them? Edward and Tom, born on the same day, same year, looked just like each other, were at heart both just little boys, creating the image of God, wanting to be like somebody else. The opening lines of the first chapter, quoting Shakespeare, Twain says, the quality of mercy is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. The mightiest in the mightiest it becomes. The throned monarch better than its crown. How? Because they begin to look outward. They begin to look outward and then go to where the people are. Where is mercy, my friends, if you hold the greatest gift that's ever been given and you refuse to give it to those that are in greatest need? Where is mercy if you hold the greatest gift that's ever been given and you refuse to give it to those that are in greatest need? How can we claim to be love and mercy? When we hang on to it because we don't like that part of town, don't like the clothing, don't like the filth upon their fingernails, their feet, we don't like their choice of school, their choice of college, their race, their language. We build up walls. And when we do that, we break apart. We break apart God's kingdom and his church. We have a man here, Cornelius, who is outside looking in. He's like Tom Canty in a sense, and that he longs for what's on the inside, but he cannot get there. Cornelius is a centurion. He was a Roman officer that commanded many troops. He's a God-fearing man. He worshiped God. He prayed and gave alms generously. He was a merciful man, giving alms, giving money, as well as his time to others that were outside that were in great need. He prayed, and yet he could not come into the temple. Cornelius could have stood outside the temple of God, and he would not have been allowed in because he was not a Jew. He's on the outside looking in. The fact that he's praying tells us that there's something in him that is longing for God. He's, he's longing. There's something in him that draws him to God, and yet he cannot get there. You know, in Romans in chapter 1 and verse 20, we're told that what can be known of God is, is seen, that, that it, it can be known. Men are without excuse. Cornelius is a great example of that. He has seen when my own stepfather came to the Lord, it came as he was reading a National Geographic magazine of all things. And it was a, a, an article on the heavens and the stars and the, the, the sky and the Milky Way and all the other galaxies and how they were, they were so special and there was this and there was that. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, how can anyone believe that there's not a God? And this hard, hard man turned to the Lord because of what he had seen. Cornelius was though on the outside looking in. 
He wanted God, but he did not, I'm sure, want the, the dysfunction, the conflict, the legalism, the judgmentalism of the Pharisees. There's nothing about that that's attractive, is it? He isn't of the people of Jehovah. God's given him a vision and told him, look, your, your prayers, your alms have been, have been heard by heaven. You ever felt like you're on the outside looking in? Have you? You ever felt like that? Sure, I think we've all felt like that one time or another. If we haven't, we will. I remember visiting a large church in Birmingham. I was, I don't know, 24, 25, something like that. Uh, I, was in, I was a salesman. I was on my feet all day long. Uh, I didn't take time to, uh, to buy new shoes. That was an expense I didn't feel like um, letting go of, nor did I want to go to the trouble to go do it. Uh, my penny loafers had holes in the bottom of them. And I had inserted cardboard in there to, to keep my socks from getting wet. I suppose it might have been easier to go to a shoe store, but that would have re required a little bit of money and, and time. I'm sitting there in the balcony at this, um, this very wealthy church, uh, listening to the gospel being, being proclaimed by the guy on the platform. Uh, beautiful words. I was drawn to this Jesus. Uh, and I made the mistake of, of crossing my right leg over my left leg like that. Um, and the lady sitting next to me in her mink coat, I kid you not, um, in her mink coat in the balcony, it was hot in the balcony, I don't know what the mink coat was about, uh, she, she, I realized she was staring at me. And, and I, I gazed over at her, and her, her face was going down towards my shoes, and up towards my face, and down towards my shoes, and up toward my face. And I kid you not, if somebody's nose could have turned up, you know, it, 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 hers, hers turned up. I mean, her disdain for me, it, it smelled to high heavens. I'm telling you, this woman obviously did not want me in her church, much less sitting next to her. I felt like I was on the outside looking in. It was a few years before I went back to that church. You ever felt like you're on the outside looking in? Sure you have. We all have. This passage speaks to you. And it's, it's, it's a passage where God is, is saying to the Corneliuses of the world, I'm coming, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to pull you in. But also speaks to the other side, to those that are on the inside looking out. The second vision that we find here is Peter's vision in verse 9 to 16. It's given to him three different times. Peter's up on the rooftop, and he's praying you get that? Cornelius was praying, God heard. Peter is praying, God heard. God's also speaking to Peter in this place. Three times he lets down a sheet from heaven by the four corners. And in the sheets are, are, are wild animals and birds and reptiles. Your translation might have creeping things listed in there as well. Creeping things and wild animals and, and birds and reptiles. Things that were unclean for a Jew to eat. And yet the voice from heaven is saying to Peter, Peter, you're hungry. Here's the food. Rise, kill it, and eat it. Cook it up and have a feast. And Peter is saying to God, no way. I've read the Old Testament. Those things are unclean. I can't do that. I'm a good Jewish boy. Not going to eat the things that are unclean. And God says to him, these things are not unclean. What I have called clean, do not call unclean. Do not call common. I'm giving them to you for food. These are good. This is good stuff, Peter. 
You ever had rattlesnake? Some of you have had rattlesnake. Thank you. I'm not alone. It tastes like chicken. It really does. And it's, it's got a sweeter, wilder taste than chicken. Uh, anyway, let, um, it's good. Al, al, who's had alligator bites? Anybody? Nobody had alligator? There's something. Y'all have got to come to South Alabama with me sometime. I'll show you what good, good food's like. Those things would have been in this sheet that were let down from heaven. What Jesus does is he takes these animals, though, and it's not about the food. It's about people. He applies it to the people. He wants us to see what he sees. Peter misses it. For all that he has seen and heard, for all the times that he has seen Christ heal Gentiles, bring Gentiles into the kingdom of God, non-Jews into the kingdom of God, he's still missing the message it's not a surprise then that you and I would miss the message. Peter has a, a pre-Cornelius practice of loving people. And he has a post-Cornelius practice of loving people. A pre-Cornelius practice of loving people is that he's going to take the gospel to those that are Jews. To those that are like him. And only those that are like him. His post-Cornelius practice of loving people is that he's going to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to those that are not Jews, to those that are not like him, to those that, as we read later on, he is not even supposed to hang out with. What's your practice of loving people? Do you love those that are like you? Or do you also love those that are, that are not like you? Who do you call clean and who do you call unclean. Well, as Peter's vision ends and he's trying to sort it all out, Cornelius' messengers arrive at his gate and they're on the outside, on the outside of the gate, and they're looking in. Cornelius is outside looking in with longing and Peter is inside looking out with judgment, but he's heard from God and he obeys God. Will we obey God when he sends us to the outside? Will we obey him when he sends us to those that are not like us? What does God call clean? What makes something clean? We like to think, um, just like Adam and Eve, we like to think that it's what we do. We're no different. We like to think it's what we do that makes us clean or unclean. Some of you are still like that, right? Right? I am. So are you. We go back and forth, maybe every single day, maybe every, every single moment. We trust in the grace of God that what we have is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same moment, we might be thinking, now what do I need to do to make him happy with me? My friends, you can't do anything to make Jesus happy, with, happy enough with you. You can't do that. That's not who he is. God is pleased with you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can't wash yourself off enough to become clean enough for God. When I was a, a first grader, we lived at 325 Spring Valley Road in Montgomery, Alabama. It was a growing part south of the city. And we lived at the very end of our road. But um, remember, first grade, okay, six years old, and the, the road machines are, are expanding the road. They're lengthening the road and building more into the neighborhood. So if you didn't know, uh, Alabama is on red clay. Um, not all of it, most of it. Where we lived was red clay. And so you get to the end of the, the paved road, 
Uh, and then there's the, there's the road graders and the bulldozers and, the, pick, and the, uh, the dump trucks and everything is mud from there on out, this deep red clay mud. And it had rained like a monsoon. So at the end of this red clay road, you had mud like two feet deep. It was awesome. <laughs> so I was, I was just like a, my, my, own, my Labrador retriever. I see mud puddle and I go jump. Bobby, Bobby Starr and I were in the middle of it. I mean, folks, we were up to our, our ears in mud. It was glorious. We were, we were you know, it was, we we're happy as a pig in slop. That was all good until it was time to go home. And, and we walk up to our house, and my mom and his mom are out in the street looking for us. I'm not sure they recognized us. And we, we, we come up, and they're not about to let us inside the house. And so they, um, they took out the, the garden hose, and right there in the driveway, this, it was January, <laughs> and it was freezing cold, and they take this garden hose and the little spray nozzle, and they're spraying us off in front of God and everybody. And the, you know, the muddy shirt had to go, the muddy shoes, it, it all had to go. And you're, you're in front of the whole wide world and your mom's spraying you off with this ice cold garden hose. But it was so worth it. The next day we were back in it. <laughs> there was no way that we could spray ourselves off enough to be pleased for mom to, to let us in the house. It wasn't going to happen. But mom took a hose to us like Aslan took his claws to Eustace. And when she cleaned us up, we were close enough, clean enough to go inside. What makes us clean enough to go inside, to be no longer on the outside looking in, but to be on the inside? Only Christ does that. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. None of us are clean enough without that. And it isn't that God calls this clean and just says, hey, this is clean. It's that he makes it clean. You're not clean because God has said, hey, you're clean. You're clean because God has made you clean. Somebody has to do something with the mud, folks. Somebody's got to do something with the mud. What the Father did at the cross is he took your mud and my mud and he wipes it off of you and, he, and me and he throws it at his son Jesus. And he covers his son Jesus with our mud, your mud and my mud. And there's so much more mud than we can imagine. And Jesus, because of the love that he has for you and for me, he takes the mud and he says, give me more. Give me more. Give me more of your mud. As we're made clean, the Father then calls us clean. He steps into our mud puddle and gives us a hand and holds us close and pulls us out. If you're a believer, that's where you are. If you're not a believer, you're still sitting in the mud. But Christ would pull you out. Here's, here's something that's a surprise, but not really a surprise. Just like I did with the mud puddle at the end of the street the next day, you and, you and I do that with our sin. We go back again and again and again, and we jump into the mud puddle of our sin. Why do we do that? Because we often prefer the mud to the glory of Jesus Christ. We can control the mud and we can't control Jesus. We're like, we're like my lab. 
that wants more. My friends, how do we live? How do we live out the love of Jesus Christ for us? The love of Jesus Christ that he has not only for us, but for Cornelius. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, hey, of course he loved Cornelius. I'm a Gentile, I'm a not Jew, and he loved me. So why wouldn't he love Cornelius? He doesn't love you because you're special. He loves you because Jesus is special. He loves you because you're created in his image. You're special because you're, you're created in his image. You're not special because you've done something great. He loves you because of Christ. But how do we see others? How do we live in the love of Jesus Christ for us and for others? How do we get to the place where we see others with the eyes of Jesus Christ, where we pour out the same grace on others that he poured out on us? How do we love and build bridges of grace rather than walls of judgment and broken divisions? My friends, when God calls it clean, he makes it clean. He also makes it whole. When image bearers come together around Jesus Christ, not around our performance, not around our skin color, not around our education level, not around our income, not around our clothing, not around our religiosity. When we come together around Jesus Christ, what, what happens is something that's incredibly beautiful. It's the choir of heaven. When the people of Jesus Christ of every tribe, tongue, and nation come together and sing the praises of the king, it is beautifully whole. It might be messy, but it's beautiful. Stephen Curtis Chapman and Scotty Smith speak of this mess a little bit in the book that they wrote, Restoring Broken Things. It said the contrast between the broken church of today and the beautiful church of forever is simply staggering. We're not talking about an ugly duckling becoming a swan, but a prostitute becoming Jesus's queen. We're not talking about an ugly duckling becoming a swan, but a prostitute becoming Jesus's queen. My friends, here's a reality check. We're all that prostitute because we all run away from our Father in heaven. We all run away from our glorious bridegroom and quite often, through the pursuit of our own ideologies and idolatries, we, pre we prefer other loves than Jesus Christ. They go on. We're not talking about an ugly ducking becoming a swan, but a prostitute becoming Jesus' queen. And it's this very contrast that we must ever keep before us. Individually and corporately, we, the inglorious ones, shall be a cherished and beautiful bride, aglow with the very glory of God. What stands in the way of that? For Peter, what stood in the way of that was his, his habit of calling some things unclean that God had called clean. What stands in the way of that today is something very similar. Christians pray little and we love even less. We pray little and we, we love even less. What stands in the way of that is we like people that are like us, but we don't, we don't love them enough to give up our time, our resources, our heart, our church. We don't love them enough to go to where they are, to those that we see clearly as unclean, or we would love them differently. We see them as not worthy, or we would sit with them and bring them into the kingdom of God.
This passage is for those that are outside looking in. My friends, but be, be, understand this. This passage is a primarily addressed to those that are on the inside looking out. And we all fit that. We need to recognize that there are image bearers. Everyone that's created, every human is created in the image of God. And we're to love them as Christ has loved us. And where we are not doing that, we need to repent. You do, I do, we need to repent, which is a beautiful thing. Remember, repentance, uh, repentance is, a, is a privilege that we have because the very fact that God's telling us to repent tells us that he's on the other side saying, come to me and I'm forgiving you. What stands in the way is our lack of love and our lack of prayer. God calls us to go and engage, to love and to live beautifully whole. Let me, give you, let me give you six things that help us to live beautifully whole. First, we need to see God as he is. Next week, we're going to talk about how we do that and the power of the Holy Spirit as this, this, this story continues to unfold. But for today, remember this, see God as he is. Jesus said that I came from the Father full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. He is the glorious one. See God as he is, holy full of grace and truth. Second, see people as he's made them. See people as he has made them in his image. People are image bearers of the God of, the God of all creation. That means, you know, sometimes we, we look at others and we see, yep, they're image bearers, but not me. I'm just, I don't measure up. My friends, you are an image bearer. You're creating the image of God. You're an image bearer. Sometimes we think we're the image bearers, but no one else is. My friends, others are the image bearers. Every man, woman, and child of face this earth, no matter what their language is, their race, their education level, their political party, it doesn't matter. They're created in the image of God. Look beyond all the exterior stuff and look deep into their soul and you will see someone that longs for Christ, even if they don't know what they're longing for. See others as God has made them. Third, recognize the fall. Our mud is deeper than we realize. We're all fallen people. The fall that we see in Genesis with Adam and Eve is the fall that we have. It's our fall. It's my fall and your fall. Everyone else's fall. We're all the same place, the foot of the cross. And that's the fourth one. See redemption in Jesus Christ alone. His redemption is greater than you can imagine. So lay down, lay down your muddy idols, your prejudices and your false identities and take up Jesus. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else is going to bring you to the Father. Fifth, my friends, drop the clean and unclean judgment. Just be done with it. I chuckle sometimes at some of the bumper stickers I see around Annapolis. Go Navy, beat Army. And then I walk into Peter Polk's office. He's bold enough to stand up in a restaurant and scream, go army, beat Navy. And I want to crawl under the table as everybody there turns around and stares at him. <laughs> That's a funny way of putting it, but the, the reality is, the reality can be quite, quite mean-spirited. Not in that way, but with what we do. We have a clean, unclean judgment that we pronounce on others. It's a self-centered ideology and idolatry. It is self-centered. It is not Christ-centered. 
We need to take up Jesus and his cross, his body and his blood that is shed for every person. Six, love people as God loves people. Love people as God loves people, all people. Put yourself aside instead, give of yourself for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the salvation of others. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is the power of God for the salvation of every man, for the Jew first and also for the Gentiles. God opened Peter's eyes, my friends. God opened Peter's eyes and remember what happened, sent him to, he sent him to Cornelius to hang out with a bunch of Gentiles, something that had been unlawful for him to do. God said, go to. My friends, take it up. Take up the cross of Jesus Christ and go to the person, the people, the people group that you have left on the outside looking in. God sends you to others. He sends me to others. The initiative is ours. Listen, he's the one that has made us beautifully whole. A bunch of formerly muddy people together. He wipes off the mud and he calls us his glorious bride. My friends, let's wipe the mud from our eyes. And with the same mercy that Jesus gave to you and to me, let's gaze with the love of Jesus Christ as those that are to the, at those that are not like us. Gaze with the love of Jesus Christ at all the image bearers and help them come into the kingdom of God for his glory, for their good, and for our good. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace that you have poured out on us through Jesus Christ. Thank you for wiping the mud from us and from our soul. Thank you for wiping the mud from our eyes. Lord, I pray that you would indeed open our eyes the way you opened up Peter's eyes and Cornelius' eyes. Lord, and you built up this beautiful kingdom of God there in Caesarea. Father, I pray that you would do the same thing here at EP and in Annapolis. Father, would you build up your kingdom of God? A beautiful, a beautiful kaleidoscope of every tribe and tongue and nation. So beautifully messy and glorious in Jesus. Lord, would you do it in Christ's name? Amen.